I received some uh, mail this week. Do you enjoy receiving mail? Uh, That wasn't a trick question. When I asked the first service that, a big uh, voice rang out, No! I think I know what he meant, probably talking about bills or whatever else might come. I I did get some mail, and I uh, opened it up, and I was so honored when the first words were, Dear Resident. (laughs) I knew, oh boy, this is a special letter made just for me, right? Uh, How many of you like junk mail, especially? About half of us. <laughs> I don't see a single hand. Nobody likes junk mail, right? It, it seems wasteful, often frivolous for us. But probably more importantly is that it, it's just so impersonal, right? It's just it's made for the garbage can and the recycle bin. Um, I know you recycle, right? So uh, it, it's so impersonal, and, and we don't like it for that reason. But when we think about personal mail, that really is a different thing. Take, for example, a, a wedding invitation from a family member that you really like, right? So this family member is getting married, and uh, you, you get an invitation that says, Dear Eric, or Dear Mr. and Mrs. Burns, uh, Dear Chloe, whomever. It has your personal name on it. They've written it because they know you, and, and they want you to come and be part of their joy, part of their celebration, and uh, it really makes a big difference. It comes with an RSVP because they really want to know, they need to know if you're coming, right? Most of us, I'm guessing, probably prefer personal notes more than junk mail. Yes? Yeah, I, I think that's true. Uh, because it involves personal knowledge. It's, it's somebody who knows you, and so they're writing directly to you, and uh, they want to share possibly something of mutual interest, right? Uh, maybe uh, a joy with you, and uh, often it involves deepening their relationship with you. That's why we like more personal things. Today, our, our passage really is a focus on A personal invitation that Jesus is offering, really to you. And I don't overstate that, because it is an invitation that he is giving to you. And we're continuing our series. We just started through the Gospel of Mark last week. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. And uh, Mark is uh, probably the first Gospel written. Uh, It was written, uh, we think, as a reflection of Peter's uh, life and interaction with Jesus. Uh, it's written likely in the city of Rome, and it's the shortest of the Gospels. And uh, it was probably the one that Matthew and Luke both used to help uh, take their Gospel and uh, to, uh, to share their reflections on the work and life of Jesus. But here we have, last week we focused on Jesus announcing that the kingdom had come, right? Christmas is over, now Jesus shows up early in the book of Mark. To talk about the reason that he came, and uh, he says that that the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. And then the very next thing, this is so so the way Mark likes to write, it's very quick, and it goes from one episode to another, and and, uh, and you get carried along quite easy with it. But here's what we have the first disciples being called, according to the way Mark describes it. After John was put in prison, this is Mark chapter 1, verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once, 
They left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of it. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of it with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Father, we pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would be set loose among us and within us, that you would speak, that we would allow you to speak, that we would be quick to respond, and that that response would be a reflection of our love and joy in you. May it be so this day. Have your way with us. We pray, Jesus, now in your name. Amen. Amen. Jesus calls. Jesus is calling. His call is to come and follow me. The personal invitation. It's a personal invitation to James and Andrew. Um, sorry, Andrew and Simon. Uh, James and John. These two sets of brothers. Uh, we're not told a whole lot. There may have been some ongoing interaction leading up to this point, but all we know is that when Jesus comes to these two sets of brothers, there was an immediate response. He comes to them and he, he invites them to come and follow, that there's a personal knowledge from Jesus to them. He knows their names. He, he invites them to come and be with him. And they are desired. They are loved. They are welcomed into the kingdom, right? Jesus says the kingdom of God has come, and I'm inviting you to come and step into the kingdom, and you do that as you follow me, as you follow me. It's not a matter of doing a certain level of religious experiences or checking off uh, religious agendas off your list. It's about following Jesus. It's about putting Jesus in the forefront of your thought, in the forefront of your eyes, and following Him, pursuing Him with your whole life. He is inviting them, and He continues to invite us to come and to share His love and to share in what He's doing. And so what do you say? Back to the wedding invitation. We, we get these RSVPs, right? And, um, you know, RSVPs are sent. You know why? Why, are, why do you send RSVPs? Do you hope they'll be ignored? No. Right? RSVPs are sent because you're looking for a response, right? Um, and uh, sometimes RSVPs, in, in the reality of our life, right, we all have a desk of the work of our life and the demands upon us. And sometimes the RSVPs of our life, even the RSVP of God, he, he invites you into a further step of his love, and the RSVP is sent, and sometimes it gets put in the, fire, the pile of our life desk. And, and we intend to go back right to it. 
But we just can't deal with it right this moment. Do you know what I'm talking about? It just kind of gets set, set aside, not, not intentionally um, uh, ignored, but it's forgotten um, because of the crunch of daily demands. Right? Are you busy? Aren't you a busy person? Aren't there a lot of things that uh, it can feel overwhelming to you? Your schedule, many people depend on you. Um, you have commitments, maybe you're overcommitted. You have bills to pay and work to be done. I mean, with all of this, who has time to regularly spend with Jesus, right? I mean, come on, this is the modern world. And so we, we, we get these sense of promptings from the Lord, and, and we, we hear this RSVP, what are you going to say, Bryce? Are you going to say yes and follow faithfully after me? And, and, and I want to say yes, but man, things are so busy. And so I'm going to put it right here at the top of my pile on my life's desk, and I'm going to get right back to it. And there it sits, and often what happens if you're like me, other things get put on top of it, right? And it'll take a big day down the road to sort through it. Sometimes RSVPs just kind of get forgotten, and we set them aside. Sometimes they just simply get ignored, because we have bigger things right now to focus on than the thought of following Jesus in every aspect of my life. I mean... I've got an education to, to pursue. I, I have to get this degree under my belt. And then, then I'll get serious about my faith. Or I've got to advance in my career. And if I don't, if I don't focus all of my energy there, then uh, I'm not going to go where I, I think I need to go. Or I have a family to raise and children that, that are uh, demanding my time. Or I have a retirement to prepare for. There, there are just other things that are so big and so much more important right now. And eventually I'll get to it. And so we intentionally ignore the invitation and the calling. And the RSVP gets set aside on purpose. These two brothers, Andrew and Simon and James and John, they, they respond. I love the way Grace helped us see again the immediacy of their response and the way that Mark lays it out. They, they respond at once and the other two respond without delay. And I want you to see that the, the way that Jesus calls us into fellowship with him is also in fellowship with one another. Because as Jesus comes, he's not just calling individuals to come and step into a personal relationship with him, which he is doing that, but part of that calling is to be in fellowship with other believers. And that's what the church is intended to be. And that's why it's so important. And as they move forward, you'll see uh, through the Gospel of Mark that they're, they're moving forward together as a group. This is uh, the body that Jesus is working in and through. So Jesus comes as he announces the kingdom is here in a general sense. He invites us to repent, believe the good news, and then he comes with a personal invitation to come and see and hear and to accept his calling. Jesus is calling. And we see in here, too, that Jesus then commissions these guys. These are fishermen. They, they live in this city on the northern banks of the Sea of Galilee, Capernaum, and, and here they're fishermen. Fishing was a humongous trade of their day. In fact, the, the fish from the Sea of Galilee were, were well desired around the Roman Empire. They'd be shipped out and uh, they possibly had a pretty good living as they, they went there. So Jesus knew how to speak to them. And his commission was to them something that they could hear very clearly as fishermen. He said, I'm going to turn you into fishers of people. You're going to learn what it is to be part of my work in the world to go out and to fish for men and women. This church has been called to be connected and to, to go out into Marin County and beyond with the good news of Jesus. And I want to just remind and maybe share a couple of ways that, that we are seeing God help our church and help many in our church 
together to these fishers of boys and girls and men and women and families and, and lots of people. One is on our Wednesday nights. We have seen really great growth in the numbers of children participating in our water program. In fact, a couple of pictures behind me. Uh, in our uh, preschool up through elementary age, we've got over 20 children that participate almost every every Wednesday night. In our youth, we have the same number from middle to high school, another 20 children. On any given Wednesday, we can have over 40 uh, kids here uh, learning about the Lord. Many of them uh, are not connected to churches anywhere. Uh, others are not connected to the Lord yet in any way. And so through this program, it's allowed God is allowing us to be fishers of people right here in Red County and allowing us over time to develop relationships not with not just with the children but also with their their adults their their parents uh, grandparents and it's really putting us in a great position and it's worth rejoicing in um, and I, I just want you to celebrate that the way that God is working in our church because the call of the Lord is still going out Jesus is still inviting people to come and to follow. And we're saying that week after week on our Wednesday nights. You've heard Stephen share about the Chinese New Year. Uh, the, it's being celebrated here again uh, the last Saturday of this month. And it'll be downstairs. And a picture, do we have a picture of it? Yeah. This is part of the group from last January. And uh, it's a fantastic time. Everybody's invited. Over 130 people were involved with it last year. Uh, many of those were not part of uh, this church or any church. And it's allowing uh, connections through our Chinese ministry to deepen and to expand. Uh, we were able to, just this past fall, if you remember, we had the joy as a church to baptizing three of our members of our Chinese ministry. And we've just begun conversation with uh, a fourth one uh, who we're hoping to baptize in the weeks to come. And God is doing an amazing work through our Chinese ministry. It is worth celebrating and rejoicing. Because sometimes it's easy as we sit here in Ray County, we think God's call is no longer going out. And if it's going out, it's not being heard. But I want you to know that it is being heard. And, and the, the invitation that's personal and loving from the, the mouth of Jesus goes out through the church. And these are two of the ways that we're seeing God call us to be commissioned by Him right here where we live. Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> Are you glad about that today? Are you? Yeah, it's good. It's so good. God is so good. And then we find in our passage here, not only is Jesus calling, and not only did Jesus commission us to and not just come and follow, but as we follow, we are commissioned to be part of the work that he's doing in the world. And then we're reminded, right here at the beginning of the description as Mark lays it out of who Jesus is, is that Jesus is the one who's in charge. We see here two different episodes where he goes into the synagogue in Capernaum, and um, here's what would happen in a synagogue. If you have uh, several men in a particular community that were over a certain age, you could have a synagogue. And a synagogue didn't generally have a, a pastor or a regular teacher, so to speak. There would be uh, someone who's in charge of the synagogue, and you would have a lot of lay people come in. If a scribe, a particularly educated person, happened to be going through your, your community, your village, and you have the opportunity to get that person to come and speak in your synagogue, it was great. It was a wonderful uh, blessing for the people uh, to have someone come and teach. And Jesus is described as one who taught with authority, unlike these scribes, unlike these teachers of the law, the teachers of the law were, uh, they were kind of like Old Testament professors, 
They were uh, teachers uh, in how to live life in a daily way. They also served as lawyers, civil lawyers. As a scribe would come into a community, especially a Jewish community, they were highly respected. They had really great prestige in, in uh, the eyes of the people. Often uh, others would defer to them when they walked down the street. They would kind of scoot over and give them the right of way. The first seats of a synagogue were reserved for them. And when they entered a room, guess what people would do? Have you ever been in a courtroom when the judge walks in? All rise. That's what would happen often. There wasn't a pronouncement, but often people would stand up to honor the scribe. That, that was the sort of the prestige and the honor of having a scribe, a teacher of the law, to come and teach in a synagogue. And when Jesus shows up, and he first steps foot in this synagogue in Capernaum, and he stands up to teach, people take notice. And they're, they're wowed at the authority by which Jesus speaks. The power by which he speaks, the, the confidence that he has, the, the understanding, the unusual insight into the most important aspects of life. He has an uncommon forthrightness about him. They were wowed in the way that he teaches. And we are supposed to understand Jesus as our teacher of life. Because if we are to be disciples, discipleship literally means we are ones who are learners. We are students. And to be a learner and a student, there has to be a teacher and a source. And Jesus is that source. And so part of our learning to walk with Jesus is learning to let him teach you. It's learning to read your Bible and to step back occasionally and say, wow, this is so insightful. Wow, I've read this 5,000 times. And God is speaking in a fresh way through it. Wow. Jesus has such authority in my life. You see, from Jesus, we, we learn how best to live our relationships, right? Whether it's in friendship or at work, in marriage and in parenting. We are, we are taught how to live life by the master teacher himself. Jesus is the one who teaches us how to forgive one another. Do you think Jesus knew how to forgive? Do you think Jesus is an example of forgiveness when... At the Last Supper, before he was arrested and crucified, and as he was washing the feet of the disciples, and as he sat at the feet of Judas himself and washed his feet, do you not think that Jesus has the authority to teach you how to forgive other people? When he was nailed to the cross, and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus is... The master teacher and the prime example for how to live this life that Jesus is calling us to. If we are to follow him, we must learn to do life the way he does it. Maybe perhaps even more important in our lives today than learning to forgive others is learning to be forgiven. Learning to allow the, the, the mistakes that we have made, the way that we have blown it in our relationships and the opportunities perhaps that have passed us by, never to be reclaimed again, learning to be forgiven, learning to allow God to forgive us of our sin so that we can follow Him. The people were amazed at the teaching because it was a teaching that had unusual authority, not like the scribes and the teachers of the law. And then this man shows up with evidence of a, an unclean spirit in him, and Jesus casts that that demon out of him, and people stand back, and they're even even more greatly amazed. They're like, wow, what is 
this? Who is this? He doesn't just talk about life. He doesn't just talk about relationships. He doesn't just talk about forgiveness or whatever the topic is in our life. But he also has strength and power and authority over the very real spiritual forces around us. Who is this? What is this? And they were amazed at what he was doing. You see, Jesus desires to develop your spiritual life. Because he is a conqueror over the spiritual realm, he wants to develop your spiritual life. It's not something that you leave to other sources to develop or assume it's going to happen by accident. Do you allow Jesus to be in charge of your spiritual life, of your spiritual development? Do you allow him to have the authority over your spiritual life? How are you spending time with him to learn from him how to be like him? When you think about what are your personal practices this year, I would encourage you to think first, well, what, what did Jesus do for his spiritual life to be nurtured? He was a man who practiced solitude. He was a person of prayer. He was a person who knew his scripture. So I would encourage you, if those are not today three things that you practice regularly and pursue regularly, to allow Jesus to give shape to your spiritual life, that you would find ways this year to begin practicing solitude. That's, that's just getting alone and being quiet before the Lord. It's so that your, your body and your mind and your emotions are at, at stillness before the Lord. So that you're inviting Him and attentive to Him so that he can do in you what you most need done, which is attention to your spiritual life. That's what solitude is all about. And solitude will not ever, ever, ever happen by accident. <laughs> I won't. That's worth repeating. Solitude will never, ever, 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 ever happen by accident. I speak from experience. I can wish for it all I want. I can long for it all I want. I might be in seasons where I miss it so desperately, but it will never happen unless I shape it into my life and build it into my schedule. But Jesus, do you think Jesus was busy? <laughs> was Jesus a man in demand? I bet he was. But he was consistently, you see in the scripture, as one who would go and find times of solitude so that he could be nurtured and filled, so that he could be poured out in ministry. Being a person of solitude, a person of prayer, and a person of Bible study and reading. If those, if you don't have any personal practices, I would commend those three things. If you want to learn to be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, how to be like Jesus. And what you'll discover over time is that he will begin to touch that point of anger in your life. You'll begin to take that, that bitter root that's taken deep, deep root in your life. And he'll begin to, to uproot it so that it no longer has mastery over you. He will take, uh, in the face of that temptation that keeps recurring, and he'll give you newfound strength in it. He will take what may be a, a discovery of a hardened heart in you, and he will begin to, to soften it. 
I just heard uh, in recent days someone whose company couldn't pay their employees for a while. And instead of being tempted to fret and uh, to worry about what was happening, to be frantic, this person sought out through prayer uh, the person of Jesus to come through and to be a, a provider in this situation. And uh, they found themselves being calmed in the presence of the Lord and reassured by Him. And, and then suddenly, as they held on to the Lord, there was an unexpected source of income that came. And this is the way a personal history of faith is built. This is the way following Jesus is laid out. We never know what's happening, but we know to whom we must hold. And we know to whom we must look. And we know where we must go as we follow Jesus. Because there's no one and no other better way to follow. In John chapter 6, Jesus comes to the disciples. And there were a few around him who began to, to go away, to desert Jesus. And Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, Hey, you guys aren't wanting to leave too, are you? Are you going to continue to follow and Peter's response is so great. He says, Jesus, I love Peter. We kind of have Peter's voice through Mark here. He says, so Jesus, where else are we going to go? Because you alone have the words of eternal life. Because you are the Holy One of God. You see, the disciples, that's what they were learning in their three-year journey with Jesus. They, they began with a call. They began to watch and see what Jesus did, what he spoke, how he proved himself over and over. He would demonstrate his authority, his tender love would be on display, his word of forgiveness, his hard words sometimes to the people who were more concerned about religious uh, religiosity and, and, and projecting something out here rather than really attending to their hearts. And he would be hard on them, and rightfully so. So as we come in the days to come, next week we're going to look at where the authority of Jesus begins to be examined and challenged and questioned. And that's right. Right? If you really want to follow, then you, you do your exam work. You, you test and, and you, you look at it, and, and that's what we'll be looking at next week, or the, the questions to Jesus' authority. Who do you think you are? And what do you think you're doing? And the tests come out, and we'll look at that together. As we work through this series leading up to Easter and throughout the rest of this year, here's my hope for you. Is that if you're looking for a question to keep asking yourself this year, maybe it's this one. How am I following Jesus? Jesus comes with a personal invitation because he knows you. He comes with an invitation of love because he loves you, Greg. Jesus loves you. Yeah. He comes with this personal invitation because he knows you. He comes with this personal invitation because he loves you. And he says, come and follow me. Come and follow me. And so would you join me this year in asking the question and just asking the Lord, Lord, how am I following you? How am I doing? What do I need to do differently? How do I need to go about it better? What do I need to add? What do I need to remove? How am I following you? Father, this is our prayer today, and maybe for the many days to come, is that you would help us know how we are following you. You've invited us, you've called us, you've commissioned us, and you are in charge. 
God, sometimes we sit here on days like this and we know in our minds, yes, Jesus is in charge and He has the authority. But when we look at the realities of our life and our choices and the things that we're giving our attention to, maybe we realize you're not really in charge of my life right now. So God, we want, we want you to be in charge. We want to see your authority and your power and, and your love and tenderness and your desire to grow us at work in us. Thank you for calling us to yourself. Thank you for commissioning us so that we can be part of the work that you're doing right here in Marin County and around the world. And thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you want to teach and grow and stretch us. May we be open to that. May we delight in it, knowing that there's no other place to go. There's no other person to turn to. Where else, like Peter said, where will we go? For you have the words of eternal life. Oh, holy one God. Amen. We're going to stand. We're going to sing our closing song together as a prayerful response of our movement, of our following Jesus as Lord and Master of life. Let's stand together and sing.